Hey everybody, welcome to the show. I'm Chris McGown and this is the Volleyball Live podcast from Gold Medal Squared. And today, uh, fired up to have Luca Slave on the program with us. And Luca is currently an assistant coach with the USA Women's National Team. He's been all over the world as a volleyball player and a volleyball coach and uh, has some amazing insights into the game. I'm excited for you to get to hear a little bit about his life and uh, kind of get a feel for his commitment and the intensity that he brings to volleyball and to his coaching and to really all aspects of his life. I first got to meet Luca when he was a player in the late 90s at BYU. He played there for my dad and it was fun to get to watch him as a player and then see him develop as a coach over the years. Uh, anyway, I think you'll love to hear about Luca, his story, get some insights into his coaching style and what he thinks are important as we talk about his early career and uh, how he got to where he is at this point. So sit back, enjoy the show, and uh, thanks again for joining us. All right, we're here on the Volleyball Life podcast with one of my all-time favorite guys, Luca Slave. And Luca, thanks for joining us. Chris, thanks for having me. I'm really happy to be with you today. Yeah, and uh, we've known each other for, man, a long time since the late 90s when you came to BYU to play for my dad. And uh, I got to know you a little bit then, and then our paths kept crossing as the years went on. And um Man, it's been a it's been a great relationship, and I you know I was thinking about it. Um, for those of you that don't know, Luca Luca is from Slovenia. He's from uh, near Ljubljana, Slovenia, and I was just thinking about it. You were born when Yugoslavia was still Yugoslavia, huh? Oh, I will, I'm proud to be born as Yugoslavian in 1977 and at age 14. So in 91, that country fall apart and kind of broke into six new republics, which were already existing as part of Yugoslavia. We were a federation, but now each country seek their own identity. And now I guess we have it. Yeah. And I'm uh, just thinking you at 14 years old and... We, I think, to some degree, had a sense of how gnarly that was for you guys, um, for that part of the world, and just for, as you say, your country and, and the various republics. But, man, at 14 years old, that must have just been, like, crazy for you, huh? It was overwhelming. So we were the first republic declaring independence, and for some reason we got out of it in 10 days uh, not a ton of casualties there was a war there was planes coming in dropping bombs and people were walking around with guns and shooting each other but um, that was nothing comparison to what happened afterwards uh, between Croatia and Serbia and there was a genocide the worst genocide after Second World War and that was less than 100 miles away from my house on the other side of the border where Croatia and Slovenia meet and you have all these genocide and just bad things happening for three, four years. And you hear planes going from Aviano, Italy, USA jets to go bomb Serbia. And it's just crazy that we were part of that, not involved directly, but every night we were able to hear what's going on. Uh, just like I said, a <laughs> hundred miles away. And I think 
people that have been around a little bit had a sense of the volleyball history in the Balkans and Yugoslavia was, of course, uh, this wonderful, wonderful team. And through it all, I think that tradition kind of carried that you guys, especially in some of the other team sports, um, volleyball kind of persisted and all of those all of those countries ended up being pretty good at volleyball. Serbia, obviously, really good. Uh, Slovenia, pretty good in and of itself. But you, you, you kept playing that whole time when you were a kid, huh? Yes, and that was about the time at age 13, 14, when I really got into the volleyball. That's when I started following international volleyball. That's when I would ask my dad or our friends that would take us to Italy and we would watch Karch and these guys in 91, 92 when they played in Italy. So that's when like kind of everything made sense for me. This is what I want to do, hopefully for the rest of my life. As a kid, I was dreaming and now I'm living that dream, not playing anymore, but coaching. But that region, as you mentioned, is a very, very unique Whatever we do in sports, for some reason, even though we're not organized really well, and uh, teams are just really good. Looking at basketball, how many NBA players it's coming from that region? We also have players in NHL, uh, best soccer teams in the world. Uh, there's, I can keep going, keep going. There's just so much talent and uh, dedication to the sport in this area that it's unbelievable. We produce a lot of high-quality athletes in variety of sports. Well, you know, the thing that maybe is most remarkable to me or the thing that stands out the most is just this kind of work ethic where nobody complains about anything and everybody just grinds. They just work so hard. And uh, and it's just, hey, this is what we do. We work really, really hard. And they don't expect any kind of pampering or any kind of you know, taking it easy on themselves or somebody to take it easy on them. It's just, we work really hard. We want people to push us. We love that. We love just the grind and the work. That's how we were brought up. You know, we were, uh, our both parents in, in, in former Yugoslavia and after that in Slovenia, both parents work. You come back from school. You got to do everything on your own. You got to feed yourself. You got to do homework. Otherwise, you know, people parents come home and they just kick your butt if you don't do your job and then <laughs> they give free hands to coaches to coach you and you know it's kind of hand-to-hand -hand education it's not just like expected from coaches and teachers to educate kids it's also parents are really tough on you and they make sure that you understand what the priorities are education and then activities which in most cases it's sports or music in our region and um Parents will not dare, at least in my time, parents, they just wouldn't dare go talk to my coach at all. They're like, hey, you're on your own. Figure out if there's something you don't like, go talk to your coach. And, of course, I wouldn't. I would just listen. <laughs> and coaches were all over us. And um, we kind of, that's ingrained in us that, you know, you got to be humble, keep your head down, and keep grinding because complaining just re doesn't really help. Yeah. Yeah. And so how was it that you decided to come play volleyball in the United States? That's so we talk yeah. about it all the time. It's, uh, you know, there's so many opportunities. Maybe there weren't quite as many at the time, but it's pretty rare that somebody from Europe that's good enough to play and make an impact on a men's collegiate team in the USA um, doesn't just decide to go play pro in Europe. If you're good enough to be good 
at a top level university here in the USA, you're good enough to get a pro contract somewhere and make a living as a volleyball player in Europe. And so people that choose to come to the US rather than, hey, I'm going to go get a job and make money right now, I'm going to forego that and I'm going to continue to study and play volleyball. That's that's really unique. And so how did you decide this was something you wanted to do? So I think at the time, like when I was kind of wrapping up with my high school, like I was maybe junior when I kind of got a little like I got attention from U.S. OK, there is a guy that maybe wants to come. He's good enough and we would like to have him. So and I was thinking, OK, I'm six one. Uh, you know, all other guys on this spot, they're like six four, six five. I'm OK player. But realistically, can I really be one of the best in the world? I can be good, but can I really be one of the best in the world? Probably not. But if I go to U.S., if I go to BYU, you know, I can still be coached by great people. I can play in a good league and I'm going to get my education. So that was my drive. And there's so many players that after they graduate, they still go and play pro. So that was my story. I'm going to go in. I'm going to grind. I'm going to finish school early. And that's what I did. And I'm out and I'm going to go play pro for next few years. And that's exactly what happened. So I, like in high school, I pretty much... I had an idea where I where my fit would be the best, where I would fit the best, and I was kind of on the money. Uh, was pretty pretty uh, my, I would say uh, estimate was pretty on the money. Yeah, and <laughs> one of my favorite things about you at BYU was you 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 turned into a man early, like you were at BYU, and you had this girlfriend that you were mm -hmm. really excited about. <laughs> and uh, it turns out at BYU, they won't let you live with your girlfriend. You uh, you got to either have a wife or there's none of that. And so you guys got married. You and Tina got married and, uh, and you just manned up right off the bat. Yeah, your dad was an amazing recruiter. We would know very little about honor code coming to BYU. <laughs> so he, he, yeah, <laughs> he he kept that stuff pretty quiet, and then the people would get there and be like, "Hey, hold on, I didn't, yeah, I didn't know about this and this and this and this." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, like you said, you know, um, I came in December of 1999, and my now wife, then uh, back then my girlfriend, uh, she followed me a semester after that, and of course she arrives and. I already know, hey, this is no go. We just cannot live together, you know. We're going to get in trouble, you know. So one plus one is two, and we're like, hey, let's just do the Vegas thing, you know. And then our friend overheard us in Salt Lake, and she was like, no, my mom is paying for the wedding and everything. You're going to do it the right way. So I guess we did it the right way. Uh, and, yeah, uh, that same year in 2000, we got married, and, we're still uh, counting our days and years, so yeah. life is pretty good. Yeah, she's a good get. You were smart. Snap her yeah. up early. That was good. <laughs> yeah, they're telling me I married up, so it's okay. Don't we all? Yeah, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's that just was. I I love that story. It's like here's this guy. Like talk about all the uncertainty of coming over from Europe and. Yeah jumping into BYU and then you're just like, nah, sure. I'll just go get married too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you got to do what you got to do. You know, my, like my thing was, I just don't want to go back to Europe. I'm committed to this and there's so many great things going on here. I just cannot go back home. It took me two or three years to figure out how I'm going to make it to you to us. And 
my arrival was already late because my foot was broke. I broke my foot three times and I had a surgery. So I postponed everything for more than a year. And I'm like, hey, I need to get going here. You know, I'm I'm uh, I'm losing my time. And once I got to pro, I was like, yeah, I'm not leaving with my degree. And before I win a championship. So um, that was I was very determined. To yeah. that. And you were part of some really nice programs there at BYU. And you guys had a lot of a lot of great successes and uh it was fun to watch those teams play it was fun to watch you play and eventually you got a degree in athletic training right and i agree yeah yeah correct uh i did my uh I, I did my schooling i was okay student i grinded out for two years i didn't go home because i did take classes during the spring and summer just to be done early so in two years, I completed basically six semesters. I did all my internship. So I graduated ahead of the class uh, because I was in a hurry to go play professionally. So, mm-hmm. um, And in 2003, I entered uh, my professional career starting in the Netherlands. And yeah, and uh, I've actually been in the arena where you told me you guys uh, had played your matches there. And that was a great spot and fun to kind of yeah. think about you playing there. And so you were there in the Netherlands and then... Uh, where else did you play while you were over there? Well, I spent uh, a year in Austria. Then I was home for a couple of years. Yeah, I don't even know. I was kind of all over the place a little bit, trying to find that sweet spot. Um, but then I actually found my sweet spot back home in 2009, where I kind of merged my volleyball playing career into coaching. So I got that opportunity to took over a team that I can coach and play, very unique and very uh, interesting thing to do. Um, and of course, in these years in between, you know, as you know, I was coming to US and spent a lot of time with you guys learning and trying to understand the, the business of coaching. Yeah, and that was another thing that I thought, uh, you know, just of all the kind of avenues that life takes you down, you ended up as a player coach there in Slovenia. And yeah, it just it's really, I'd never, I mean, it's really rare that you see that that sort of setup in a European league. And, mm-hmm. uh, and it was, you know, kind of like you say, the perfect scenario to bounce you from being a pro volleyball player into a coaching career. Yeah, and uh, it's not so much uncommon in lower divisions. Of course, uncommon, or you cannot see that in the top division. But I was like, okay, I have this opportunity to coach Division Two, and I can play, and demands on both sides are huge. So D1 would be probably too much to do both. But everything went the best possible way for that team, and we won D2 right away, and then... Next year, we went, we were promoted to D1. We've already made it to playoffs. And our third year of being together with a really young group, we played both finals. So national championship finals and cup, which is another big competition in each country. So we made it to uh, both finals. And that was just unheard of in three years. And then just things got better and better for me. And after that, three years of doing coach and player, uh, thing um, I decided just to completely um, dedicate my life to coaching and I was done playing that was in 2012 yeah and you got a you got a nice contract with a with a pro team there in Ljubljana right yes uh, there was another stop in between because uh team in Ljubljana you're talking about Champions League team still had a 
former Serbian national team coach under the contract, but they mm. reached out and they told me, wherever you go for next year, sign only one-year deal because we're offering you a two-year deal right now. Um, and I signed with another team that was mostly like junior national team players, youth, gathered together to play D1 and just survive. But again, we made it to both finals. So championship and cup finals with this young group. And it was another fun year for me. And then, yeah, um, I got into a big boy game uh, the following year, uh, which followed Champions League. And I start uh, also being a head coach of my national team. Yeah. Well, the Slovenian men, right? Yes, Slovenian men's national team. And it was kind of nice that you'd been a part of that youth group, having all those connections with Slovenian national team players. And uh, you guys had some some nice finishes there in in your cha- with your Champions League team and then also yeah. some nice finishes with the national team in, in European tournaments, huh? Yeah, we have a we call it a golden generation. So we're a country of two million people that competes in every single possible sport you can just remember you can imagine. And we're winning Olympic medals in summer and winter Olympics. For a two million people country, we're uh, I think we're in we're winning we're the we're winning the most medals per capita usually or we're number one or two usually norway and us we split so our pool of volleyball players is super tiny but we had that golden generation that it's still playing in the best clubs in the world and i was kind of coaching this team and bringing them up to these big events and uh, we made we took some strides and that's when you called me and i quit that team to join you. So that was in 2015, <laughs> two years of my work with national team. And then I received a phone call from you. So, yeah. You and so I was the head coach at BYU, the men there. And, uh, and one of our assistants was leaving and you were, you were one of the first names that came to mind and people don't realize how difficult it is. Uh, you'd think, Hey, you know, this is a really, you know, established high-level university program, but BYU is a unique place and finding people that want to coach men that can do it at a high level and then also want to be in the environment that BYU requires is pretty unique. And so I was stoked when you agreed to do it. And then, of course, the story is uh, <laughs> we we started working on visas and, and everything. And finally, when it came through in May uh we said all right we're good to go we're gonna hire you and then at the end of that month i think maybe early june i decided to leave and so we'd gone through all this six months of getting you hired and then i left yeah but uh but early june early june i was already there i was there may 29th and you were already gone yeah so i was there the only guy hired and like what's going on here so but uh they were good to me you took care of me and administration was very welcoming and of course, um, they took care of me and my family, so I'm very appreciative of that. Yeah, and it worked out okay, I thought, for BYU. We uh, we left you with a pretty full cupboard, and you guys went to uh, two straight finals and then another Final Four, and so you had a pretty nice run with the boys there at BYU. Yeah, you guys did an amazing job, and we just kind of took over and tried to develop a little bit more. I think it was good three years. We wish we would capitalize with a title or two, but... You know, there were better teams out there. And um, again, they're uh, full closet. They have full closet left now of good volleyball players. And we're hoping for that title that we've been waiting for too long. Yeah, Sean's doing a nice job with the boys again this year. And uh, yeah, it's uh, but interesting. Um, and you, I think, kind of looking at it 
long term figured out, hey, maybe the best choice for me as a working husband and somebody that wants to support a family and the the more opportunities perhaps on the women's side of the game in the United States than in the men's on the men's side of the game certainly you know the head coaching jobs the good head coaching jobs of programs where you really realistically have a chance of being in the mix every year those there just aren't that many of them and uh and so I think ultimately, you know, people like yourself and like virtually all other coaches decide, hey, in order to kind of have some more opportunities, I got to start looking at women's volleyball. And so that's what you did. huh? That's the case. Yeah. And that was like, that's also one of the reasons why I left. Similar reasons is why I left Europe. It's very unstable. Not many great jobs there are, but it's very unstable. You're gone within two, three months. Those clubs are really run like business you win some and you lose two and you're gone so i'm like okay i want to go somewhere where i can develop where i have three four years with the team they give me time i can work on and that was one main reason why i came to us because i know i can do that and of course after spending three years on the men's side with byu you know uh, you're looking around you see there's very few good men's jobs and there's way more on the women's side, but I'll have to pay my dues and I'll have to spend some time on the women's side before I can go and run for a job like that. And um, yeah, I got this great opportunity to go and work for Karch and USA Women's National Team. And it's no brainer. That was probably the best, another good step to take in my uh, still, I think, pretty short coaching career. Yeah. And so in the, in the year that you've been there, uh, you guys have won uh, a Nations League title. You had maybe what was for you guys a bit of a disappointing World Championships. And uh, and then here we are back for another year. And uh, it's been, I don't know, you know, what have been your impressions? What What strikes you the most about this, about women's volleyball internationally and about, you know, the USA team in general, I guess? So there's one thing that I know from, I can say from the experience, and it's been heard before, many people said that in front of me, so I'm just repeating what other people said. They're asking me, what's the difference between you, you know, coaching men all your life, and now you're spending all this time with a female, with volleyball, female volleyball. I'm like, there's really no difference. There's some physiological differences, but how we coach, how we train, what we're asking from these girls to do it's no different than men. We, I maybe deliver certain stuff a little bit differently, but not a ton. But we coach and we demand exactly the same thing. So that's one thing that I've learned in not even a year uh, from my experience, not just by listening to others and reading or reading some articles. And number two is that we have really good group of players here in U.S. So whatever we have right now, it's a bunch of great girls that are really dedicated to this program and Karch is really good at running this program uh, fostering a culture where everybody matters uh, so there's no favorites every decision that we make and take it's we think about it and we discuss it and we sleep on it so no moves are made like uh, in a hurry um, so very well organized team 
with a, a bunch of good volleyball players that we wish would start playing international rules volleyball or real volleyball roughly seven years earlier. Right. Um, so <laughs> that's the big downside of what we have here. But we got to write our own stories. I heard you saying that often. And we just cannot complain because there's nothing we can do about it. We just need to train better and probably and try to bring these girls in earlier when there is an opportunity, spring break and summer time if they want to come. We just got to figure out ways how to give them more exposure to the true game of volleyball, which is way different than what's going on in college. And yeah, you alluded to this and it's something that gets talked about a little bit to some degree, I think. But it's and like you say, hey, we're not going to complain about it. We're just going to manage it and deal with it. And, you know, we got to do what we got to do. But it for sure creates uh, a hurdle that the USA national team has to jump that no other national teams are having to jump. And that's that the NCAA doesn't play volleyball with the same rules um, that the NCAA or the NCAA doesn't play with the same rules that, that the FIVB does. And so all of these girls that are playing in European pro leagues are playing FIVB volleyball. And here in the U.S., uh, the substitution rules in particular create a, a much different environment. Um, the athletes are able to uh, specialize much, much more highly because if you can't pass, that's okay. We've got so many subs that we can sub you out and somebody that can pass can come in. Oh, you can't defend in this spot? We'll sub you out. Somebody that can defend can. Oh, you can't attack? Well, no worries. We'll sub somebody in that can attack. And you create these really, really one-dimensional players with the substitution rules that we have in the NCAA. Whereas uh, if you can't pass internationally, you're either gone or you develop into a passer. You got to figure out how to do it, and uh, and so it's like you say, it's a hurdle that they have to jump. And then one of the other subtle things that people don't recognize necessarily is the volleyball they use internationally is that thing's a, a tricky devil, and uh, <laughs> and it's it's something that you know, hey, I can be this great passer with a molten volleyball that they're going to play with in the NCAA or basically kind of the Baden or the Tachikar, the yeah. equivalent, but that the international Mikasa is, is way different feel, way different movement and getting used to that volleyball is a whole nother deal too. And so two pretty big obstacles, I think to overcome, but like you say, you, you just got to go do it. Yeah. I'm pretty vocal about this, this issue. And maybe that's not okay because you know, some people, they just don't want to hear what's the case, what's, what's going on. And, uh, we have roughly 15,000 volleyball players on scholarships, female volleyball players on scholarships. Uh, I'm not I'm not far off if I say that's more than there is Division One professional volleyball players in Europe, in you know, legit leagues. And we yet develop very little, very few girls that are ready to play on our level as soon as they're out of the college. Contrary to that, on the men's side, we have guys that are still playing in college, under FIVB rules, international rules, and they have major impact when they arrive to the men's team. For an example, Taylor Sander. You know it. You coached him. As soon as he was done with college, he was MVP in the World League. How is that possible? There's so many guys that influence men's team right out of the college, and that's not the case uh, on the women's side. 
Yeah, like you think about all these young guys, Russell, Yeski, Taylor, Patch, Micah, you know. Keep going. Yeah, I mean, going, the middles are just, yeah, yeah it's, uh, so all these young guys are, are rolling out of Penn State, out of Long Beach, out of UCLA, out of BYU, out of USC, and, and they're, they're able to compete and it's just it's not the same way it's it's uh it's it's really mind-blowing that you know we cannot have that same thing going on on our side but i guess we just got to keep eye on this young talent and try to develop them early try to get them in as soon as possible and you know it chris that in internationally at age 22 so that's when we get our goals in girls in age 22 or 23 they finish they they graduate they come to usa national team if they're good enough or if they have any desire to play volleyball beyond college and um, by that time in europe if you're not already accomplished and developed player they do not consider you as a prospect anymore you're done you're not you'll never play on the national team never at age 18 19 20 you already have to have reps on the senior national team for us to consider you somebody uh, that's going to help us to win medals. Here at 22, 23, we got to reinvent the wheel, basically, and start educating our players what international volleyball is all about. Yeah. Uh, so we're behind. We're behind five, six, seven years. If we turn that into reps, it's thousands of reps behind. But we still manage somehow be competitive. And uh, I just wonder what if 15 <laughs> subs goes down to 10, you know, yeah. and uh, now suddenly we got to coach our kids really hard. And now suddenly our girls are going to get better and our oppos will serve and our oppos will hit back row uh, because we get girls in that they never serve and they never hit back row and they never play defense or they never pass the ball. Um, so we got to figure out a better way to do that. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I, I think about it, too, and this problem gets compounded by the fact that you think, all right, well, we can catch up because we can get reps and we've got time, you know, and we'll we'll get them here. But one of the things that I've found in working with Jamie in the Netherlands uh, is that the international calendar is so packed during the summers. There's so many competition dates that your opportunities for meaningful training are are actually pretty limited and one of the most important things that you can do is not train is actually give the kids time off and rest and recovery because they're coming from this pro season where they're just grinding away and then immediately you know we're starting to play nations league and then we're starting to play olympic qualifiers and then if you're a european team we've got european championships again we've got world cup in the fall it's just this relentless and you're trying to play friendlies all along the way to kind of keep sharp but it's just this relentless competition schedule and the athletes um the athletes don't really have a lot of time to recover or to really create meaningful training opportunities. And so every rep, again, really, really counts. I couldn't agree more. And last year when I joined USA team in May after a men's final four, you know, I just drove down from L.A. to Anaheim. And here we go. We travel in five days. Our first trip to, I don't know, Lincoln. We actually started in Lincoln, uh, Nebraska. And I'm like, okay, our, after like first practice, like I cannot wait for this tournament to be over so we can start practicing. But of course, then you got to recover girls from eight 
month grueling season in Europe or Brazil, and then you gotta make them stronger, and then you gotta let them be with their families because USA players are abroad always. We don't have professional league here, so they're always abroad. None of the Brazilian players are abroad. They're all back in Brazil. Same with Italians. None of the national team players from Italy play abroad out of uh, Italy. Netherlands, your team, yeah, they're playing all over, but they're maybe an hour flight away from home. But our girls are like just spread out throughout the world and they just never return. And uh, we also have to take in, in consideration that, that when they're back home, we got to give them time with families, boyfriends, husbands. So uh, it's, it's a pretty tricky thing. And um, we got to be good to them to keep them healthy and sane so they can compete at the highest level. And we got to prepare them for the next season when they go back to Europe. So there's a lot of things we got to do here. And maybe that was the other impression that I had when uh, I started up with, with the Netherlands was just how how much of a load these girls are actually capable of handling, how much of a physical load. And I feel like that's one of the other things that the NCAA maybe doesn't do is, is you know, they're prioritizing stu- studying, they're prioritizing recovery, they're prioritizing time off. And so, you know, it's, it's this maybe imbalance of load. Hey, you get this big load during the season and maybe a big load during your 20-hour training block uh, in your off-season. But the rest of the time, you're kind of, you know, on your own or it's you're limited in how much you can train. So you get this really imbalanced training load. It isn't like you're under this constant pressure that kind of keeps you maintained at this level. But I was blown away by how hard the girls in the Netherlands worked and how hard the USA girls worked. Just, hey, they're training every day. They're lifting every day. They're... You know they're they're engaged in all these other activities, and they put this tremendous physical load on their bodies, and are pretty pretty impressively able to maintain it. It's like for me, it's like I don't know if I could do that. Like thinking back, I'm like, wow, I did some crazy stuff, and we traveled and we competed all over the world. But looking at these girls is just unbelievable. Like we go around the world once, one and a half time last summer. I don't know how many miles. We get home, we got to train the next day because then it's another trip coming up in two days. And then we give them a day off so they can go take care of visas or they can go and, I know, open the bank account or they can do these necessary things they just cannot do during the year because they're gone. And then it's it's unbelievable what these girls can do. But uh, I'm afraid that we're all pushing the envelope here, you know, including FIVB, uh, World Volleyball Federation, just pushing these dates deep into the club season and then when we're done with this national team activities girls have to fly straight from example japan world championships straight to their clubs not even a day off they play two days later in their championship already it's just uh it's 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 really hard to understand and comprehend that if you're not doing that just listeners it's really hard to understand that what these girls are capable of doing and staff with them of course we're on the same page we all work hard and i don't know if that's good for the sport uh, you know that after World Championships, a bunch of top-level athletes, volleyball players, they got injured. And they were out for a month, for two months, for three months. Some of them, they had season-ending injuries. And, of course, when we bring that issue up with the uh, European Volleyball Federation, World Volleyball Federation, just nobody cares. Nobody cares. And that's, that's the problem. Uh, we cannot create any space for girls to get a significant time to rest. 
Yeah, and it, of course, there are no player unions internationally or anything like that where they could mandate, hey, you know, these are the limits and we're going to do that. But uh, it's a big uh, it's a big concern. And I think one of the complaints that always comes up in coaches commissions is, hey, you're this is your product. These wonderful special athletes, this is what you're selling and you're basically running them into the ground. We don't know that that's a smart thing to do here. And so, yeah, I think it's like you say, yeah, there has to be a schedule. There has to be more conversation. Yeah. We, you, they put together a schedule where we we cannot take our best athletes to those competitions. So what does that do good for the uh, federation? Nothing because we're there with B team. So, (laughs) You know, if we want to rest our A squad, we got to send somebody else and suddenly level of the, of the competition is not great anymore. And FIVB is really upset with that. I'm like, hey, we got to take over our girls before we think of you. So they don't like to hear that. <laughs> yeah. And and again, there's just there's so many like here in the U.S., there's so many competing interests and so many people pulling in different directions. You know, the NCAA wants one thing, club and juniors programs want something else. The national team wants yet another thing. And so uh, a lot of people pulling in maybe directions that aren't uh, necessarily the same and it it gets to be tough. And the athletes, I think are the ones that end up kind of bearing the consequences of a lot of it. But uh, anyway, we won't complain. Like you say, we'll just, we'll get in there and we'll do the best we can. We'll grind away and uh, hopefully make some meaningful change at the, at the higher levels with with some of the input from the coaches. But uh what uh, what's up for you guys uh, this summer? You got some people in the gym training right now. You just had um, collegiate tryouts. Uh, how'd that go? Yeah, we had two hundred and twenty players registered. A few less showed up because some flights were canceled. That tryout was in Colorado Springs, and weather was not nice to us, so some <laughs> flights got canceled. So some girls didn't make it. But we roughly end up with two hundred uh, volleyball players. Um, some of them still underage, uh, trying out for the junior national team. Some without any eligibility left, and everything what's in between. And uh, we had an amazing group of players, and they worked hard. We got out of it. They got of, they got out of it really healthy, which is a big surprise. Usually, we had a bunch of rolled ankles and ACLs. I think we got out of it with uh, one strep, and with a uh, concussion. So that was pretty good record for for this tryout. And we did find some girls that we like a lot. And we saw some more that are for sure going to get better. And there's some hope uh, that that we're going to have some good volleyball players joining our program very soon. But we also uh, were looking for players uh, that are going to, like I said, try. They're going to play for our junior team, national team. They're going to play for university uh, world team. And then we have another a couple more college teams. One of them is going to travel to Japan and another one is going to stay in Anaheim. There is a big tournament. Um, and, of course, senior national team, uh, we were keeping our eyes open. If there's something that can maybe help us in less than two years in Tokyo and uh, what's out there for us for our next squad for Paris Olympic Games in 2024. So that was kind of objective or a reason why we run these tryouts is to see who's out there and if there is a late bloomer or somebody that can surprise us. Yeah. So we've seen some good volleyball, some good volleyball players, uh, but we need to uh, continue searching and uh, finding more volleyball players that are willing to go all the way and uh, play some international volleyball. 
And this is uh, this is going to be an interesting summer for everybody, obviously. But like you mentioned, Tokyo's right around the corner. It's a year and a half away or something, and uh, and so you got this full summer of of volleyball, and then kind of half a summer, and then the Olympics are on us again. And so as you guys draw things out, and you're starting to look kind of here's what we're trying to accomplish. What are you looking to do? this summer um with the team with the group what are you what are you kind of the goals so first part of the summer is going to be uh as you mentioned vnl so volleyball nations league that starts may 21st and it ends if you end up going to the final six uh around july 4th maybe a little bit later than that so uh, our objective there is just to try different people some people that uh, didn't get enough opportunities in the past. Maybe some people that have never played for the national team before, and we want to expose them to this level and see how they respond to the jersey and to the level of the game. We also need to rest some people. So we're going to probably have some waves of and some switches going on uh, throughout the tournament, sending some people home and bringing some people uh, with us. And uh, we hope, certainly, we qualify for that final six in China. And I think we're going to go to China with the best what we have. But for sure, first three or so weeks, uh, we will, we'll have to. We're going to be forced to uh, move some bodies around, some people around, because some girls come back home from their professional teams later than the VNL starts. So that's one objective. Find new players, give them exposure and give some rest to the ones that they've had tough seasons already. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, it's probably the biggest objective for us is Olympic qualifiers, August 2nd, 3rd, and 4th. Uh, we'll play Bulgaria. We will play Kazakhstan. We'll play Argentina. We're yet to find out where and who's going to host that. Um, and that's our main objective, to qualify for the Olympic Games. Uh, and right after that, you know, we travel to World Cup to Japan. It's a one-month-long uh, tournament, uh, 12 teams, and you play each team, and you hope you win that that important uh, tournament. But still, we need to qualify for the Olympics. That's all it that matters, and then the rest will uh, will come. All right, and uh, we've been talking for a while here, so I don't want to go all night. I could I could talk all volleyball with you for yeah. a long time, but. Uh, I know you got your family to get back to, but I guess just as you think about, you know, you've you've been around volleyball for a long time, and you've been around a lot of really good coaches, and you've you've seen a lot. Um, as as you think about it, what are the and, and what have been kind of the things that have stuck with you? These are maybe you know the things that I feel like happen at every level and are the most important things in being a coach i mean what as you as you think about yourself as a coach if everything else went wrong but i did these few things right i'd be okay what do you think those few things might be so you have to teach as soon as you start managing the team no good so as soon as I, that's something i promise to myself you will never manage you'll never be manager of the team but you will teach and you will make people around you better. And that's something I learned from your dad. And you will always be brutally honest. And yes, it might hurt when you tell somebody that's not really good. 
but how can I help this person? That's the next thing. So you got to be brutally honest. People will re respect that. If not momentarily, they will respect that uh, down the road. I learned that from your dad. And then I really like what Marv Dumphy is saying, you know, you get what you tolerate. So team will be a mirror of who am I as a coach. If I'm lazy, team is going to be lazy. If I show up late, team's going to do that. If I sleep during the video session, players will do that. And um, those are two biggest for me. Teach, do not just manage and just be afraid of telling people how to play volleyball, how to make them better. Be brutally honest and just don't tolerate things that are no good for your team and for your team to develop. Those are two biggies, and I'm trying not to shy away from those, even though those are the tough ones. You know, I was uh, I was in the gym with with Heather and her team last week, and I stopped by every now and then at BYU just to watch the girls practice. And and Heather goes around after practice, and she says, "Hey, coaches, what input do you have?" And so you know all the assistants kind of have some input and it was mostly positive and hey you guys are doing a nice job here and this was pretty good and i like the way that went today and it got to heather and she just she lays into the kids she's like you guys were no good today and this was a lousy practice and you didn't have good energy and you're worried too much about the mistakes that you're making and not enough about how you can help this team be good and if you want to create this culture that we're trying to build here you can't do it and she just let them have it and i loved it <laughs> and i i told her afterwards i was like i love that you, the just you don't let this team be average and Jamie and I were talking not long after I said I think that's one of the things that Heather does best and it's something that I was completely unprepared for when I got the head coaching job was the idea that you're you're the gatekeeper you're the one that has to maintain the standard and it's it's way harder than people imagine. It takes an emotional, a physical, a mental toll. And you it's just so easy to let things slide, to just go, no, all right, fine, that'll be okay. And no, that's a it's a little thing, it doesn't matter that much. And I'll just I, I won't I won't complain about that right now. But I think like you said, one of the things my dad did the best was he was all over the details and he held everybody to a really high standard. And I see that from the great coaches is they hold themselves, they hold their staff, they hold their players to a really, really high standard and they're relentless about it. They do it every single day and it's incredibly hard to do and it takes an enormous toll on you. But that's, I think, one of the requirements for greatness is somebody that's in a position that's going to keep the standards and, and a lot of times it falls on the coach. It always falls on the coach, you know. You win. You'll, you'll get some praise and you lose, they're going to be all over you. But I agree, it's, it's a lot about details. And I'm not going to say I'm obsessed with details. I'm pretty legs guy, but, you know, I think you got to show up on time. <laughs> Whiteboard's got to be organized. Maybe, maybe you're lax for Slovenia, lax, but <laughs> you're, you're, in, you're in nobody's like, book a lax guy here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I go like, I go into details such as if the net is not set up properly, I'll break it down or redo it. I just cannot have net being all over the place you know it's gotta be the way it should be the net that we will play on it's gotta be antenna's gotta be straight this has got to be there it's got to be protection everything's got to be perfect you know and um 
If that takes extra 10 minutes from my day, okay, it takes extra 10 minutes. But you gotta be this, you gotta be like, you gotta be this for your guys and your girls. And they see that, I've noticed that. They see that and suddenly they show up early. Suddenly they help you with the net. They will go get the balls. Um, They will do everything what you're doing because you 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 show them that and just you cannot just use words you got to show them that you got to be an example and that's the best way to do it and that's the only way to do it all right well hey i I really appreciate your time it's fun talking and uh i'm just i'm so glad that uh back in the early 90s you decided to come to byu and that we got across paths and that uh we still get to see each other as much as we do, and it's it's fun having you as part of our staff here at Gold Medal Squared. And uh, and I just I love all the things that all the good things that are happening for you and in coaching. And I think you've worked really hard and deserve all of it. And so uh, go USA. Maybe uh, unless you're playing the Netherlands, <laughs> I might have a conflict of interest there. But uh, in any case, we wish you the best of luck and hope you guys have a great summer. Yeah, thank you. And of course, we'll recruit you so you don't work for Netherlands anymore. That's number one objective for the summer. I forgot to mention that. And yeah, I just cannot thank you, Chris. And of course, starting with your dad and your family and just everybody that's been involved in my USA story, of course, with my family, with my close family that always supported me. And we made this move with my family three, almost three and a half years ago. And it's it's ongoing thing, and we're planning to stay here and do a much good for, for this country and for the volleyball that we have here. And I feel really like a homeboy, people treating me like, hey, he's one of us. Uh, and just thinking that I've been part of this since 2000, you know. Uh, even though I was gone for a few years, I would still come back every summer for two months. So I never let it go because I really saw value being around you guys. So thank you for that opportunity. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll talk to you soon and uh, let you get back to it. Thanks again. Thank you, Chris. Take All right. care. See you. You too. See you. Bye. If you want more podcasts, video, articles, and other volleyball instructional resources, you can find us at goldmedalsquare.com, on our YouTube channel, on Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for the latest interviews, news, and other promotions. Thanks for listening, and we hope to meet you in person at one of our camps or clinics.